Well, good morning, Orangewood. Uh, you just remain standing as I read this morning from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and here is Jesus's invitation for those who would follow him and how we might bless this world. You can follow along as I read. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Before you take a seat, would you pray with me? Lord, we're so grateful for the gathering of your church, for the celebration of baptism and all that you're doing here. And so, Lord, would you, by your spirit, speak to your church this morning through your word. Encourage us and equip us to be your light in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, well, uh, Last week, we began our series, Salt and Light, and we shared we're looking at and living into this value of 168 living that we have as a church. And uh, we shared about out in our lobby, our post-it display um, that we would love for you to uh, write a note in on of someone in our church or someone in your life living as salt and light, various tangible expressions uh, of being God's church in, in this world. So you can find that in the lobby that'll be there over the next three weeks. Write a note of someone, simple, easy, tangible expressions of the church being salt and light in this world. Uh, we also uh, share with you about a resource page we have for you if you're looking for uh, more information to read on this subject of salt and light on calling and vocation. Uh, Does my work matter? We have some of those resources available. You can go to orangewood.org slash salt and light. In this section, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus invites his disciples and that is those who would apprentice their life underneath his teaching. He invites them to see the profound impact they can have of living their life with Jesus. And my heart and vision for this sermon series and for you is that you would reimagine, uh, recapture, and be redeployed uh, with all the kingdom potential of how God wants to use you right where you are in your normal, ordinary life here in Orlando. Because friends, God wants to use every one of you. He wants to use every one of you through his power, surrendered to his will, transformed by his grace. He wants to use you. And it speaks here in this passage of the importance in Jesus' day and especially in our day for this picture of the church to be 
the salt and light. We need this kind of people who've been blessed by Jesus to be a blessing to others. Um, we, we need people who've been embraced by Jesus through his love to be that kind of embrace to our world. I love the way Jonathan Pennington puts it. He says this, to be a disciple means to be an outward focused agent of the kingdom, inviting people to honor and glorify God. Jesus tells us at the very beginning of the sermon, of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that he knows the way to the blessed life. Uh, that, that living under his guidance, living under his rule, living under his teaching, uh, that, that you can experience a certain kind of life with him that he calls a blessed life. Um, but what can happen sometimes is, is we can get to a place where that we believe that is all that Jesus was after. That, that we can find ourselves thinking, if, if Jesus could just help me not feel so stressed out, that would be awesome. Uh, if Jesus could just help me not feel so overwhelmed by life, that would be great. And let's make no mistake about it. Uh, Jesus wants to do that for you. He, he wants to invite you into a certain kind of life with him that is truly the good life. But it doesn't end there because the Beatitudes we're connected intimately with the section that we find ourselves in now on being the salt and light. Uh, that, that Jesus wants to call us out of maybe what we struggle with sometimes is our self-focus and into the great story and picture of redemption and your role, yes, your role to play in that. Uh, we are, as Pennington said, called to be outward-focused agents of this good and beautiful rule in the kingdom of God. And we have in our passage the ways we can go about to become that. But we have to see a couple things. First, Jesus talks about the importance of the light. The importance of the light. Jesus tells us that the light of the world is like a city set on a hill. Uh, light shows the way. Have you, have you just noticed this? I mean, it's so natural. We don't even think about it. Light shows the way. Um, uh, you know, something that uh, we were dealing with uh, last month in the month of October that has become something that we're still getting used to from our family moving from Michigan to Florida is that October is a very, very different month in Michigan to Florida. We're, we're still getting used to that. Um, one, one way for you to understand is uh, in, uh, in, in Michigan and in Florida, Halloween, you, you are rushing home uh, uh, after you've collected candy. Uh, in Michigan, you're rushing home because you're freezing. Uh, it might be snowing. You're, you're rushing home. Here, you're rushing home too because you're sweating and your candy's about to melt. I mean, just, I mean, it's, it's a jarring experience. And so my kids, they've been wrestling with um, October in Florida because it's still so stinking hot. And um, Caleb, our youngest, we, 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 we had picked him up. Um, he had just been at uh, an outdoor workout thing and he's hot and he's, he's sweaty and he gets in the car and he's just complaining all in the back seat. And he said, uh, dad, 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 it's so hot. Uh, could we destroy the sun? <laughs> I was like, 
no, buddy, we, we, can't, we can't take out the sun. And he's like, but it's so hot. Can you just destroy it for me? And I said, well, you know, actually, we need the sun. If we didn't have the sun, we would die. Um, that's the first thing. And then the second piece is we need the sun's light. We, we wouldn't know where we're going because light shows the way. Light shows the way. This is the whole point of why we have lighthouses out on the water. For the ship that's, that's being tossed about in the storm, uh, for the ship that's out in the darkness, there is this giant monument out over the water saying, this is the way. This is the way. Light shows the way. And it's obvious that Jesus in this section is drawing on the Old Testament book of Isaiah, one of his favorite books to quote. He's drawing on these themes and the idea of light. Listen to Isaiah 60. It says this. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Jesus invites all of his followers to be a light on a hill, showing the way to God. But notice it also, the importance of light is also to show us our need. Uh, light sometimes shows us our need when we are in darkness. This is how the apostle John put it in 1 John this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, that's a, a continual sense. It's, it's a, a way of our life. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from our sins. So light shows us the way, but, but light in the presence of God shows us our need. That, 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 that light shows us what we really need. I was reading a study that was done recently. It found that 10% of adults polled were driving their car with the check engine light on. 10% of people drive with the check engine line on. And of those 10%, 50% of them have had that check engine light on for over three months. 10% uh, after that uh, was between one or two months. Um, the, uh, the gal who did the study, conducted the study, uh, she said about this statistic, quote, the U.S. government put the onboard diagnostic system in place to alert drivers when their vehicle was emitting too many emissions or had a problem. This light can signify something potentially costly and possibly dangerous to passengers or others on the road. It's important that drivers treat it seriously. Now, the survey found that drivers had a whole litany of excuses for why they did not address the check engine light. Some had just turned a blind eye to the indicator because even though they're not a mechanic, they were driving the car and they kept saying, well, everything seems to be fine. So they just kept driving. Others, it was a lack of resources. Other, their life was just too busy. I'm just too busy to deal with this light and what's going on uh, with the car. Now, 
I'm not gonna ask who here has their check engine light on today. But here is what I know. When the check engine light pops on, it is trying to tell us something, right? Uh, What is it trying to tell us? The car is in trouble. Your car is in trouble. Your car needs something. But much like our cars, we have a propensity to say, quote, everything seems fine. Everything seems okay. And we don't realize our need. And I think this is where we are in our culture. Uh, That as we find ourselves in a place and in a time and in our culture that has become more okay being away from life with God, it's become an easier reality to slip into this and we don't see our need. Uh, I read an incredibly sad study recently a couple months ago about a study done in California with teenagers and young adults. They found that young adults in California are experiencing mental health challenges at alarming rates. Three quarters of the young adults they found have anxiety or experienced anxiety in the last year. More than half have reported depression. 31% report suicidal thinking and 16% self-harm. And if you are a teenager or a young adult or an adult even here and you are struggling with that, uh, we have a counseling ministry and we would love to support you. And the study found that since COVID, uh, it has only exacerbated what people were already experiencing. Students and young adults say they live under a constant state of pressure. So students, do you feel any pressure? When asked to pick a word that described how they felt about their generation's future, the two dominant feelings were uncertainty and worry. And friends, we are living in a world of darkness and confusion, a world of injustice and pain, a world with mental health issues and political division. And God has called his church to be a city on a hill, uh, to be a people on a hill who rise above the fray of darkness below and point to a way and a better world. And now please hear me, please hear me. This does not mean we are better. This does not mean we are better. For us to say that would mean to lose all the witness and the light. But what we are saying, true disciples are not claiming to be better than others. They are claiming they know the way to the one who is. We know the way to the one who is, that is Jesus. God tells us the importance of our calling To be light to this world is so we can show the way and show the need and show the one who can answer. Second, Jesus gives us the operations for the light. Uh, Jesus tells us in this passage, there are two ways that you can use this light, you can operate in this light. Uh, The first one, he says, is you could could use this light uh, by stunting the light. Uh, This is what we read in verse 15. Uh, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Uh, It it, it doesn't sound like the right operation of the light, uh, 
But Jesus is saying some could use this light uh, by stunting it, by burying it under a basket. You could use the light that way. It seems silly. Uh, The lamp comes with pretty easy operation manuals. Give light into the darkness. Uh, But some could neglect their calling as Jesus' apprentice and bury the light. How do we stunt the light? We can stunt the light, especially in our culture, especially in Orlando, through moderation. Through moderation. What, What I mean is there becomes another vision in your life that is more guiding and is more focused. It, is, it has got more of your thoughts than the vision that Jesus is inviting you into with him. Uh, this is exactly what the devil wants. He, he, he wants a dim lit basket buried church. That's exactly what he would love. He would love for the church to live further and further into moderation, further and further uh, into division, further and further into distraction, and finding another vision for your life and what to pursue other than Jesus. That's exactly what the devil would want, moderation. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. And if you've never read the book, it's, it's really a story uh, unpacking the relationship between an uncle, uh, Screwtape, writing to his nephew, Wormwood. Uh, the, the, uh, Screwtape is the senior demon, devil. Wormwood is, is a junior demon learning how, uh, apprenticing under his uncle, how do we tempt the patient, which is a moniker for the Christian. And they go back and forth in this book with their letters to one another. And here is what we find as Screwtape speaking to Wormwood. He writes this. Talk to him, that's the patient, the Christian, about, quote, moderation in all things. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that, quote, religion is all very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. This seems to be the constant picture throughout the Bible uh, that God uh, creates humanity in Genesis 1. He gives humanity this calling, be my light, uh, you bear my image, you, 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 you are sent out. Uh, he, he, we see with Abraham that Abraham is given a people. They are meant to be lights to the nations. Uh, but we find over time that the light just gets dim lit and basket buried. Uh, that uh, we find in the book of Kings, it says over and over that the kings that ruled over God's people, um, that they worshiped God, but they didn't remove the altars on the high hills. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, in, in the ancient world, particularly in ancient pagan religions, the idea was, in terms of your worship of the gods, uh, I, I, we need to put our altars up at the highest place we can, on the mountains, on the hills, because if we can get up there, we're going to be closer to the gods. And as we cry out, as we sacrifice, hopefully they'll hear our cries. Hopefully they will respond with rain. Hopefully they'll respond with our crops growing. So this idea was... In the pagan world, you'd put an altar on the hill 
and worship to the gods. And, and what we read is that God says, you worship me, but, but the altars remain. The altars stayed. And in this, God said to his people, listen, I've, I've called you not to worship on the high hills. I've called you to worship in the temple where my presence resides. That, that's what I've called my people to be. But Israel moderated their religion and it became a combination of worshiping God and worshiping some pagan religion. And, and God takes our moderation very seriously. Uh, he actually sees it like an affair. He, he, he sees it like an adulteress. He, he, sees, he sees it as we've forsaken the true lover of our souls. Uh, listen to how the prophet Jeremiah put it with some pretty bold language. He says this, yes, on every high hill and, on every, and under every green tree, you bow down like a whore. Welcome to church. Very graphic language. And I think God was doing this to get his people's attention to make it clear that he does not want to be second place in our life. And the warning for the church in Jesus' day and the warning for us today is to avoid being a dim-lit, basket-buried church with a Christianity plus identity. Uh, Christianity plus whatever is on the hill. Whatever the altar is on the hill. Today, this would be exactly what Screwtape wants. Christianity plus some altar on the hill. Something else to worship in our life. And for some of us, we may have to assess, especially this month, it may be Christianity plus politics. That we find ourselves in a month where that could be a very easily thing to overfocus on. But I believe a church too focused on politics will be basket buried light because no candidate can give what only Jesus can give us. For some, it may be Christianity plus achievement. Our city loves to stack you up. Did you know this? They love to stack you up. How, how successful are you? How, how important are you? Are, are you? are you worth my time? Have you, have you noticed this? Um, and th this will happen sometimes because of my role as a pastor. I'll be invited to these very uh, important meetings where there's a lot of successful people there. And, uh, and, and everyone who kind of comes to those meetings, they, they know there are other successful people that are going to be there. And, and you start walking around meeting people. And, and I've had this happen. I'll, I'll end up meeting someone and they seem very interested. And, uh, and Tyler, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor in Maitland. And uh, this true story, this happened. One person said, oh, man, man I, I can't wait to hear about this. I just need to go fill up my drink and I will be right back. <laughs> Their drink wasn't empty. And they never came back. How successful are you? How successful are you? And friends, it's so easy to fall into how does my resume stack up? How, how does my life stack up? How's my status stack up? And we can begin to feel inadequacy at our core. And God may be saying to you today, there's an altar on the hill. There's an altar. 
the altar could be your looks. It could be your kids. It could be the approval of others in your life. It could be just the need to be needed. I just, I just want to be needed. Something very good in your life, but it's asking you for worship other than Jesus. What's on the hill? What's the altar that needs to come down is what God is inviting us into this morning. And screw tape once again says, a moderative religion is as good for us as no religion at all and even more amusing. So we can stunt the light. That's our first operation. We can stunt the light. We can bury it under a basket or, or maybe today we could shine it. We could shine it. That's what it says here in Matthew 5. Let's read this again. Uh, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How do you shine your light? Well, it says right here, through your good works. That's what it says in our passage, that they would see your good works. This is a question for you to ask yourself. Where has God called me tomorrow through next Sunday to be his light through my good works? Where has God called you tomorrow through next Sunday to be his light through my good works? We read this about Tabitha in Acts. It says this, she was known through her city this way. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of what? Good works and acts of charity. Friends, has God called you to a spouse, to a child, to a parent, to a friend, to shine the light of good works? Has God called you to an organization you support, a place of injustice you need to serve, a person of need you need to bless? Has God called you to a coworker, a stranger, a neighbor, a very, very difficult family member? You can think of their face right now, can't you? Has God called you to them so that they could see the light through your good works. And the reality is in our culture, we need desperately a church who does not bury the light under a basket, but shines on the hill of a better way to live in this world. The famous preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who lived in the 1800s, uh, was asked one time about his church that he served. He served one of the largest churches uh, at the time in the 1800s, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And he was asked by someone about the church and and what is your vision uh, for serving this church, Metropolitan Tabernacle? And Spurgeon said this, he said, I want to serve a church where if Metropolitan Tabernacle ceased to exist, London would be devastated. That's a powerful vision of what the church should long to be, that if we cease to exist, our city would be devastated. Friends, what would it look like for Orlando to say that about us, that there was, there was such a light that we demonstrated, regardless of circumstances, regardless if people reject us, that you just keep blessing others 
because you've been blessed. Uh, you just keep showing up for coworkers and neighbors and friends and for the marginalized and the underserved. That you just keep showing up for strangers and friends because you've become a person pervaded by love through following Jesus. That you just can't seem to help it because you want those works to keep coming back and pointing to the one who is at work within you. I love the way Dallas Willard put it. The greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens in every corner of human existence. I love that. Every corner of human existence, you've been set out. You are the light. God is giving you and inviting you the opportunity to embrace your true operation as his light, to shine in every corner of human existence that would point back to the creator and sustainer of all things. But how do we do that? How do we do that? How do, how do we become that kind of light? That brings us to our final point, the source to the light. Uh, what we find in our passage is this is actually not a new message. This is the story of God, his, his faithfulness. We celebrate baptism. This, this covenantal calling of his people to be light in this world, that they would create a community from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And we see this in the book of Isaiah, the same call. We had it as our call to worship. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Uh, there was this, this longing uh, for God within his people that they would, they would shine on a hill through every corner of human existence. But what we find in Isaiah 42 is the source of the light in the very beginning of the chapter is actually not the people, but it is a person. Isaiah 42 begins this way. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Uh, there was this longing and expectation within God's people that a light would come in a person who would transform God's people, that they would become a light through him and they would set all things right through him. This is why the gospel of Mark begins. You, you want, it, it just drops you in on the scene and the gospel of Mark, it begins with Jesus's baptism. And in Jesus' baptism, we learn the spirit of God falls on Jesus. And God declares right there, this is the one whom my soul delights. This is, this is Isaiah 42 being fulfilled. We see later uh, in Jesus' own self-identity, he said this. Again, Jesus spoke to them. This is the religious leaders saying, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, the converted Jew, Saul of Tarsus, had his life radically transformed by this light. 
In fact, it was a physical light for him. He, he was on the road to Damascus. The light appeared to him. It was Jesus. And he went from seeing Jesus as a, a, a false teacher to Jesus is the true Messiah and Lord of the world. And this is what Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, says to the church. He says this in 2 Corinthians. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Uh, it says here about the jars of clay. Jars of clay in the ancient world were very uh, dispensable, very inexp- uh, inex- uh, inexpensive, uh, very breakable. But Paul says there is a treasure inside these jars of clay. There is a treasure inside you this morning, friends. There's a treasure. Then that treasure is the light of Jesus. So as we follow the light of the world, Jesus himself, he will guide us, he will lead us, he will transform us as we're sent out as his light on his behalf. The way God uses you to be the light is intimately connected to the source of your light, which is Jesus. So where is God calling you to be his light in the darkness of this world? Where is Jesus leading you as a jar of clay to be filled with his treasure. A treasure more valuable, more precious, more rare than anything we could possibly offer. There's one verse that I keep coming back to in the Bible that you see this demonstration of a treasure that's within jars of clay. It's a moment in the book of Acts um, where uh, some of the apostles have uh, been teaching, they've been proclaiming about Jesus, and they've been brought before the religious leaders. And part of that moment where these religious leaders are kind of assessing who, who are these guys transforming the world, this verse keeps coming back to me of this is who we are called to be. It says this in Acts 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They knew that these men had been with Jesus. Dispensable, unimportant, unnoticeable, unimpressive, but jars of clay. But they carried a treasure. They had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. What about you? Would you stand uh, as we close this morning? Friends, Where is God calling you to be his light? Uh, Where has he sent you? Though you are a jar of clay, you carry an unimaginable treasure to this world to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light.
The question this morning and for this week, will you allow him to be the source to your light? Will you allow him to guide you and lead you this week as you seek to bless others? I hope you will. Because you are the light of the world. Let's pray. And so, Father, we need your spirit and your grace and your goodness to be your church in a world that feels divided and distracted, uh, in a world that needs to be reminded of a better way and a better hope and a better name. And so, Lord, use us, though we are jars of clay, brittle and unimpressive, but may they see the treasure. May they see the treasure. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.